Uh. So my people's one time. Let's get started. I won't teach you. Let me set apart who is my people. The ones who set What up, what up, what up, everybody? Hey, everyone. With Across the Intersection podcast. I'm in here with Eve and Dan. Hey, you guys. Hey, what's up? Just want to uh, make sure that y'all follow us on social media. Please hit us up on Twitter at Across This. Um, definitely hit us up all individually on Twitter as well. I'm going to let them share their uh, handles. But follow us on Facebook as well, Across the Intersection on Facebook. Like our page. Go ahead and send us a shout out. We want to make sure that um, everybody knows, please, if you hear something or you read something that you think would be great for us to talk about, shoot it to us. Tweet it to us, you know, put it up on the uh, Facebook page. Um, definitely want to connect with everybody and you know get some feedback on what you guys are, are thinking of the show and how you feeling and how you feeling just about life going on in in the world and you know when people ramble on about it on a Saturday mornings. So um, please holler at me on fa- uh, Twitter at Divinimus D I V E N O M O U S. See, I got it all this time. <laughs> no problem. I got it all with no problems. You get, get, um, hit me up on Twitter. I'm on Instagram at Divinimus, and I'm on Facebook Divinimus. I'm pretty much Divinimus everywhere. So yeah. So uh, for Eve, uh, just go to at E to the V to the E on Twitter, so you can uh, you know check out what's going on there and some of my thoughts on issues going on around the world. And for me, Daniel, uh, you can check out my blog, www.diaryofaredeemcenter.wordpress.com, or you can hit me up on Facebook as well, Daniel Unger. We're going to get Dan on Twitter at some point. <laughs> Y'all going to hear in like six months, Dan, like, you know what? I gave up the ghost. I'm on Twitter. No, I'm not on the I'm the Snapchat. Listen to me sound old. <laughs> You're I'm not, not on, on the Snapchat. Snapchat. But no, nah, I just don't do Snapchat. It's, not, it's, it's even hard for me to do Instagram because yeah. I don't take enough pictures to be on Instagram. So yeah. I'm there, but I'm not like that dude that's taking a whole bunch of photos. So I have to jump on the gram myself and on Snap, but I just haven't done it yet. Too many things going on in life right now. Yeah. I start telling people follow me on, uh, <laughs> what's the other one? Uh, Google. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah, G- uh, Google Plus or what? Yeah, I forgot Google what Plus. it was. Yeah, that yeah, thing that was short-lived. Like, is it? Oh, is it dead? No, it's not dead. I ju- it's just that in the beginning, oh. you know, just like Periscope, you know, uh, some people still use Periscope, but now that Facebook Live exists, uh, you know, people, it's just more con- convenient for people to just be on Facebook and stay on Facebook and Live. stay on Facebook, mm-hmm. yeah. Although, you know, the, the one thing that I do miss is Vine. Vine was, t- Twitter had something with Vine. I just miss Vine. Shout out to Twitter. Bring Vine back, man. Anyway, oh man, a whole lot of stuff has gone on this week, and... We's going to talk about it. Um, but, you know, we try to bring it from that mature perspective. Um, we're going to do our best to act like grown-ups up in here. Um, so let's get it in. You know what happened this week is archaeologists located uh, Miss Sally Hemings' living quarters in Thomas Jefferson's uh, Monticello estate. Yeah. Yeah, they're doing a, um, a rehab of Monticello. It's been around for a couple hundred years. Uh, so, you know, it's interesting when you decide to take a, a very old building like that and or or house or, you know, part of a plantation like that and and, and redo it just for the purpose of restoration. Um, you come across all kinds of stuff. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I guess apparently they said that they found her quarters where actually a men's bathroom was that yeah. they had 
change her her room into a men's bathroom. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, once they gutted the bathroom, they realized something else was there, and so they began digging. and They realized it. They believe that you know, they allegedly it's you know it's believed that that could have been her her living quarters because you do find that kind of stuff. The the first house I owned, we gutted it, and like behind walls, we found like the original windows, oh, like wow. with the weights and stuff. So you so you do find stuff because it was an old house, it was a really old house, like early twentieth century, like nineteen hundred or nineteen. Yeah, I remember that house. <laughs> oh, you were yeah, you down, yeah. down in the yeah. country. Yeah, out in the country. So yeah, when when I gutted, you find all kinds of stuff, but. So they they find Miss Hemings' living quarters, which okay, I go you know slaves was here, you know it's it's it's, it's all good. You go to the National uh, Museum of African American History and Culture, you'll see you know that original slave quarterhouse, which is pretty dope. Well, not dope; they were living in it, but you know, <laughs> still that they restored it. But just some of the the verbiage, I just you know I I don't want to say I I find it funny because it's not funny, but I just. It, I find it extremely interesting the way people use language, and you can you can sort of tell the intent that people are trying to come across uh, or trying to get across when they use certain language. And so, one of the things I believe one of the articles I read in NBC, they uh, they repeatedly mm. used the word mistress. Wow. Um, when describing Miss Hemings, now. Yeah. You guys don't understand. There's a couple different things there. When you use that terminology. You are like, you know, when I use the word mistress, right? I am insinuating some kind of illicit affair, right? And it, volition. Right. It's it's a derogatory thing. It's not a, you know, it's not a good, hey, there was a mistress. Oh, great. The mistress was here. You know, bring her in. You know, it's, it's a very shady, seedy type of description of someone. So they repeatedly used that terminology, which actually is the lesser of two evils. That, you know, when we really get into it, really, because although describing a woman as a mistress, you know, it's like, you know, it's like the old school side chick. No woman wants to be described as a mistress or a side chick, right? Except mm-hmm. nowadays people are having pride in being a side chick. It's just bizarre. In fact, nowadays, and I'm not trying to get off topic, <laughs> but it just blows my mind that nowadays, you know, side chicks actually open up their mouths and say something like that. What? How do you feel as our female representative? It's just, it's just, it's just bizarre. It's like you know, lately, just with celebrities and people like that, the side chick will pop out and say, "Well, it say something against the wife or say something about the relationship." You're a side chick. You're supposed to be ashamed. What's going on here? Yeah, there's, there's no shame. There's no shame exactly. But here's the crazy part. I think that in particular, they took to describing her as that. Because that's actually better than describing her and what she probably was. Yes. Which is property. Mm-hmm. Which is like a plaything for Mr. Jefferson. That was probably a more accurate description. Yeah. And but they're not gonna they're, they're not going to describe her like that. They're gonna use the term mistress. Because that that gives the implication that there would have been some consent. And there would have been some you know, I don't know. Volition. You use volition early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The issue um, is is just simply incorrect. In 1774, Thomas Jefferson actually inherited Sally Hemings as his property. Wow. Uh, and so, you know, and not only that, but there is a decades upon decades age difference. So, if he wasn't wrong 
with respect to a sexual relationship with property where there's a power differential which questions whether uh, by nature whether there was real consent Mm -hmm. then there's an issue concerning the age difference and how early that relationship took place yeah so basically like you said there is a power differential like we we consider nowadays you know course of an adult is in a relationship with a minor by law it's not consensual because of the power differential there we go and now how how much you know how great a power differential you know can there be between a a a master and a slave that's the greatest power differential you can have so to to even uh hint at that it was consensual or that it was volitional is is just plain wrong because again if you're a if you're a slave then and you're left with the choice of either having sex you know with with a master or being beaten halfway to death or being killed um period you know what are you gonna choose or even being relegated to the fields yeah. you know i mean some people actually Again, this is this. You're between a rock and a hard place. Right, right. Do I work out in the field? I think there was a movie that came out about slavery recently, where where this was exposed. This sort of uh, rock and hard place decision on the part of slaves, if they even had decision, was exposed because one person said to the house slave, "Oh, you're lucky. You know, you get to to stay inside. You don't have to work from can't see to or you do work from can't see to to can't see. But at least you're not under the hot sun. You get to wear these nice clothes because when the guests come over, you need to look like something. But then the house slave said to the field slave, "You are not under this man's eye or his wife's jealous eye for you know twenty four hours. You actually have yes, you're bent over and you're working in those fields, but you're not." you know, under that watchful gaze all the time. At least you, the fresh air comes <laughs> past your nose. And so, you know, again, it's, it's a really interesting uh, discussion, but she definitely was a house slave. Yeah, what I just find interesting about much of America's uh, revolutionary era, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to Dan's point, it wasn't just master-slave. It was a man who was in such a aristocracy in this country. He was the third president of the United States. I mean, this this is just not like a dude yeah. who had some money who owned slaves. Thomas Jefferson was the elite of the elite of the elite. Um, but it, 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 it also speaks to how we, and I say we because I live in this country, right, um, is how we try to make sure that we gloss over all of the, you know, unmentionable areas of uh, the revolutionary era heroes, all those heroes from that era, right? Washington, Jefferson, um, these these cats owned slaves, yet that's not spoken of. Typically, it's, you know, we talked about the uh, symposium that um, Rasul Berry did last week in Silver Spring, Maryland. Um, and one of the things, and I actually went back and looked it up after he said it. Mm-hmm. He said 30 lines after the, the opening line in Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. He said, well, if you read 30 lines down, it goes into how they consider the Native Americans complete savages yes. that don't deserve this country and et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, really? Like, I didn't even know that was there. I yeah. went back and researched it after he said it. So 
I just say all that to say, you know, with, with the Sally Hemings thing, you know, I found a similar scenario when I went down. My wife and I years ago went down to Mount Vernon, Virginia, George Washington's home, and it's a similar kind of a glossing over of the fact that he and his wife owned over 300 slaves. It's like, oh, by the way, they own some slaves. But anyway, George Washington, it's kind of, whoa, whoa, you know, what? He owned 300 people, you know? Um, now, I understand he's the first president, and, you know, he helped get the country, you know, liberated from Britain, et cetera, et cetera. That's all fine. I'm not saying to downplay any of that. That's really important. Um, yeah. yeah, but we don't, you know, let's not gloss over the unmentionables, because um, there there's a large segment of the population that still struggle with fully embracing American liberty and, um, you know, American liberation, because in 1776... <laughs> you know, there's a whole segment of the population that was not free, that was not technically liberated. So I think that this Sally Hemings thing just sort of dredges up all that. Yeah, I think that we we have a very skewed view of uh, patriotism in this country where we want to celebrate the, the founding fathers and all they did for this country, yet ignoring the fact that they were hypocrites. That, <laughs> um, yes, they, okay, did you know, pave the way for uh, liberation from Great Britain. But what about, what about all the slaves? What about the Native Americans? They women. were not given, and women, they were not given the same rights, the same liberty. And, you know, I think that acknowledging these things is, is not unpatriotic. It, it actually, I believe it is very patriotic to acknowledge the faults of this country and, and work on becoming a better country but we can't we can't do that if we gloss over history and pretend like these things didn't happen exactly we need to realize that human beings are three-dimensional every last one of us has uh, contradictions within our character we're human beings right. we're not just sort of that two-dimensional you know picture of george washington or thomas jefferson or even Andrew Jackson, who, you know, I think had more bad than good <laughs> uh, on, you know, on a, on a screen. You know, these are three-dimensional people. And I think what you're saying is, is, is absolutely right, Daniel, because that's the reason that for two centuries, Jefferson's descendants have been denying Sally Hemings and denying the six children that she had with Jefferson for two centuries. And not only them, but, you know, but the American people. Because Thomas Jefferson was a genius, you know, just I'm talking about intellectually. I'm talking about he was a Renaissance man. I mean, he brought a lot to the table. He wrote, you know, our, our founding documents. So we're talking about someone that people have really held up. But for some reason, they can't see how a man who speaks about freedom um, holds several hundred slaves and did not free them. Even Sally Hemings, he did not free. He never personally freed mm -hmm. Sally Hemings. And when you look at, you know, as early as 1802, he was accused of um, having that relationship with her and he didn't deny it then. Wow. So, you know, so, the, so even he didn't deny it. Then you look at all of her light skinned babies running around and he actually, um, you know, ended up freeing them, even though he never treated any other slave family that way. And then in the last part of last century, I think it was 1998, they finally did a DNA test of Sally Hemings's uh, relatives, and they found a link between them and Thomas Jefferson. So, you know, there's so much evidence saying she was the person that he used in that way. They had children, 
those children had descendants who are still living right now. Um, and, but people still cannot get past the fact that this was the behavior of, of someone that they honor and praise actually as one of the founders of this country. Wow. Yeah. They, they had a picture, um, in the, I think it's an NBC article. They had a picture of some of the descendants. It's a lot of people, but I mean, it, it speaks to not, not necessarily just the master slave relationship, but the power. Mm -hmm. Um, when you're talking about someone who was, you know, like I said, in the aristocracy of this nation, um, and that, you know, people don't understand that this nation was founded by very powerful people, very powerful men. And, um, as we pivot, you know, when we talk about power and the power that not necessarily just of people, but the power of the presidency, you know, people sometimes forget that the president, like you are the president of the United States of America, which is still, you know, despite all the flaws, still the most powerful country on the planet. There are things that this country does that other countries could dream of doing. You know, America invades other countries. Like, nobody invades America, but America invades other countries. So that's still how powerful um, this country is. And I think that a lot of people seem to forget sometimes when, when, when they talk about the presidency, when they refer to the presidency, they forget the level of power that that office actually wields. And I think somebody who forgets that power is 45. <laughs> I think sometimes yep. he, he forgets the, the level of power and influence that that, that, that office wields. Um, and the importance of leadership, as we were talking about, you know, a few weeks ago, that we're, leadership actually does impact, you know, the, the nation. The people, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and even if it flies under the radar of their consciousness, people are following his leadership, even if they don't realize it. Yeah. To end that thought, I want to just throw this out. And you know, this wasn't one of the topics, but this is really, I think, pertinent. So this week, because of the 4th of July, NPR actually tweeted out the Declaration of Independence, right? Oh, yeah, I like saw Like the that. literal yeah. Declaration of Independence. They were, t- I mean, of course, it's more than 140 characters. So it was a series of tweets. Yeah. <clears throat> and so 45 supporters, right, they go ballistic on Twitter. Oh, my God, are you trying to incite a riot? Huh? You disrespecting our president? Blah, 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 blah. And people are like, do you morons not realize they all they're doing is tweeting out the Declaration of Independence? This is not this is not a personal attack on 45. It's amazing. But speaking of personal attacks on 45, <laughs> 45 has been going at it with CNN. He's been going at it with them since the since the campaign. Which is bizarre because CNN has given him the most coverage. The most coverage. Like they literally were the first ones on his big rallies during the campaign. But it was during the campaign that he came out and called them fake news. That was where that term first started. Fake, your, your fake news. And so this, this back and forth between the president, ladies and gentlemen, this is not, you know, <laughs> this is not like some guy on Channel 7. This is the president of the, if you haven't realized where we are in 2017, the president of the, these United States is having a pissing match basically with, with, with CNN. You're supposed to be yeah. above that. I think someone, yeah. not that this would work, but somebody needs to go up to Donald Trump and say, you know, you are above the fray. You're the president of the United States. You are the, you know, you're the head of our military for, like, forces. You're you're above that. Let the little people have these types of discussions. Yeah. Well, you would think his advisors would hold him in check, mm. but <laughs> that uh, doesn't seem to be happening. This is, you know, everything that's been going on with him has been 
unprecedented. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> no other president, Republican or Democrat, has anything like this happened in our history. So uh, from what I understand with, with following the events, apparently uh, this recent uh, war, it, it began when uh, uh, CNN produced a, a story that they had to later retract uh, involving uh, an ally of Trump and a connection to a Russian bank. But they found that the story was incredible. And then, so then uh, someone post a meme of <laughs> from uh, WWF <laughs> when apparently... 45's earlier life. <laughs> yeah, before he became president, he made a guest appearance on WWF and apparently he was wrestling some, some guy. And then... So this was a independent citizen. He, he made this meme and apparently the White House got a hold of it and then tweeted that meme out. So that's a retweet. So you're saying that the White House... Well, just House to be clear, 45 re- Okay, he spe- yeah, yeah, that's a good point to make that distinction. Yeah. Yeah, so he... Yeah, Trump uh, posted that meme with this... Yeah, with Trump wrestling this this guy and the meme had basically had, you know, CNN had the word CNN over this guy's face, I guess, to imply that, you know, Trump was beaten up on CNN or... And the meme itself, I mean, uh, produced by, you know, just a regular citizen, okay, it's just, because we see memes like this all the time, but the fact that the president, the president yeah. tweeted tweeted it out. Um, yeah, if, if I see that on Twitter, I might chuckle. I might say, huh, that's pretty funny. And I'll just keep it moving, but when the president, <laughs> when the president reposts this out, like, hey, look at what I'm doing to CNN, it's just like, dude. Do you have nothing else to do right now? It's just distasteful. It's just distasteful. Central Park East 2 Elementary School recess. (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) Just giving you my New York City public school history. Recess. That's what it feels like. I mean, it just, it blows my mind. Yes. So then uh, after that, uh, CNN posted out uh, their own thing where they were, they investigated who the guy was who made the the meme and they got him to apologize for making it and and that he wouldn't do anything like that in the future wait a second daniel no, i know wait, wait a second so this man who's an independent a private citizen posts a meme in jest mm-hmm. but even if it wasn't in jest he's a private citizen he's exercising his first amendment rights but now he's being pressured into um apologizing for something that he did without even knowing that it's possible that a president would actually snatch that and repost it or retweet it what yep and then they said that if basically they implied that if he continued any behavior like this that they would reveal who who he is so that's so seems now, to be bordering on bordering on blackmail so now here's where the legal problem comes in because now because CNN did that so there's an AT&T Time Warner merger yeah. on the horizon and for those of you who don't know Time Warner is CNN's parent company that's the company that owns CNN so they're going to merge or their uh, proposed merger with AT&T is now being investigated by the DOJ wait a minute doesn't the DOJ work for 45? 
that looks like a conflict of interest. Everything about this presidency mm. is a conflict of interest. <laughs> and this is just the most recent iteration. So now something that would be a no, uh, what, what they call it, a nothing burger, right? <laughs> DOJ always investigates these really big mergers for the potential of a monopoly. Yeah. They would investigate it anyway. I remember Microsoft back in the 90s. I remember Google. They will investigate these mergers when, when big companies try to buy other big companies or merge with other big companies to prevent monopolies. If I'm not mistaken, they shut down the Sprint T-Mobile merger from like 10 years ago. Sprint and T-Mobile were trying to merge and they ended up not allowing them to happen because it would have been a monopoly. So it's it's nothing on the surface, but when you have the backdrop of Trump body slamming CNN on WWE, <laughs> now you throw in this weird, you know, this this weird conflict of interest because now it makes people question the motives of DOJ. It, are their motives genuine to say that, that they want to prevent a monopoly in terms of telecommunications or is this just petty 45 trying to, you know, get at CNN's parent company, Time Warner? We're supposed to have checks and balances in this country. We have the uh, the executive branch and we have the judicial branch and we have the legislative branch to make sure that one branch doesn't just have all of the power. Um, we left Great Britain so that we could leave <laughs> being a part of, you know, that type of system of government. Um, but I think some people might say, well, all of the agencies within the federal government are a part of the executive branch. Maybe some people think that. I don't know. You know, maybe that's the way that it's structured, where they really just work uh, to the um, needs or desires of the president of the United States, because it seems like he's trying to have every agency or every cabinet member do exactly what he said instead of saying, wait a second, I'm not a perfect person. Let me put a variety of people around me so that I can have more than one opinion and I can make the best choices in these matters. Yeah, it seems that yeah, everyone who's in Trump's era pretty much has the same opinion. It's not a yep. variety of people. and Or they get fired. Yeah, fired. or like the FBI director, if you have a difference of opinion, <laughs> then you're you're gone or if you're, you know, doing your job, uh, which was, you know, and supposed to be investigating. Or the lady who was yeah. head of DOJ. Remember yeah. when he first took office, the, the lady who was head of DOJ wouldn't enforce the travel ban and she was yep. gone. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, I mean, I think, again, this speaks more to the, the power of the presidency and when people don't realize the amount of power that that office wields, not just normal people, but when the person occupying that office as well doesn't realize the amount of power um, that he wields because <clears throat> that office has control over very powerful, like the DOJ, very powerful offices, very powerful agencies. The deal, If you get invested by the DOJ, that's serious business. This is not just a, you know, ah, I'll blow it off. No, this is the Department of Justice for the entire country. So th this is not, you know, let's just play around and, and mess with AT&T or mess with Time Warner. That probably affects their stocks, right? That affects every that that affects people when you do things like that. So again, I think it's just not realizing the amount of power that that office wields. Um, I just wonder what is do what this particular presidency is doing to the dignity of the office of the president. I'm wondering if this will have long-term implications, meaning everybody who comes hereafter will have condescended to this level versus 
where Barack Obama was, I didn't agree with everything, and I don't think I agree with any everything that anybody, any president does or says, but Barack Obama put a level of dignity on that office that we had not seen in a while. And and that's where that office belongs. So I'm wondering what what type of long-term damage Trump might be doing to the dignity of the office. You know, you're talking, you were just talking about um, when it comes to stocks, I mean, it, whenever he makes a tweet about a publicly traded company, right. there is a, a immediate impact exactly. on the worth of that company, that the financial worth uh, of that company. So, I mean, but does the president, should the president condescend to that level? You know, so I, I, I'm really concerned, actually, about what this might be doing to that office. Yeah, well, fortunately, with, with 45, with Trump, it, you know, it's almost like you're having a, a toddler or a child as president and they're, you know, he's going to do what he wants to do. He doesn't, you know, consider the impact that it, that it has on the economy, the nation as a whole, on private citizens. It just, you know, he's acting like, you know, and it's one thing where you, you encounter someone on Twitter or Facebook and, they just kind of act childish and make all these kind and you know it's just one person and you can kind of deal with it but when it's the president of the <laughs> united states you know uh, it just takes it to a whole new level so i think it will it will inevitably have long-term yeah. consequences now what that looks like maybe maybe in the future they're gonna reshape the the power that the office of the president has due to what looks like an abuse of power maybe there are going to be more checks and balances than there currently are i'm not sure the the next president is going to be charged with having to clean up a lot of this mess i mean that's that's essentially what like this was will will be a real mess because it won't necessarily be like i have to change his policies it'll just be reshaping the image and the view of the office, like what you were saying, just reshaping how the office is viewed. You know, not just domestically, we're talking about internationally, yeah. how people view the office, you know, and the position of president of the these United States. Cause <clears throat> the things that he says, the the things that he does. I think it's funny, D.L. Hughley on his radio show had made a comment. He said, you can't be president and be on Twitter having beefs like you a rapper. He's like, he's on, you know, he's on Twitter having Twitter beefs. He's like, you ain't no rapper. He's like, you the president. I thought that was funny. Yeah. We just got to, you know, I don't know. We 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 got to do better. We have to recognize, you know, the 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 power of, of the position. And, you know, when you get there, right, even if you didn't know before you got there, Right. Once you get there and you are made aware, like, whoa, this is you have to you have to shift. You 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 have to change how you do business. You know, if sometimes people mature as they get into a thing, everybody's not going to be mature, you know, before they get in. But once you get in and you realize the gravity of what you're into, it's like, yo, I need to, you know, I don't want to belabor the point, but something else just came to mind in terms of impact. Remember, during President Obama's presidency, I think what happens is that when somebody becomes president, a lot of times you don't think about the kids who are being born 
into that environment, or I should say coming into consciousness right. within that environment because a baby doesn't know anything, but maybe a toddler sees a certain image. Yeah. And when you're uh, in office for eight years, that is you know more than half of a child's lifetime um, much more. That's basically a child's, you know, whole lifetime until, you know, late elementary school. And that impacts who they are. So when, when Obama was president, there were, there were kids who that's what they saw as presidential. Right. You know, they didn't even have the vocabulary to say to their parents, thank you for turning on the TV so that I could see an image that looks like me and is digni- dignified. No, but that's what, you know, that's what, what was seeping into their minds. Mm-hmm. But my question is, <laughs> the kids who are being born or coming into consciousness now, and when they hear the word president and then they see the behavior of this man, like how is that impacting a rising generation? I don't know. I, you're, I mean, it's... You guys are parents. Yeah. I'm just thinking yeah. from, you know, well, a non-parental perspective. Well, I mean, you know, my, my oldest, who's 11, right, she came into consciousness knowing Barack Obama yeah. as her president, where my youngest, who's going to be three, um, will come into consciousness knowing this. So, no, it's there's definitely a stark difference um, between the two, um, yeah. and just in terms of what they present and you know, from the perspective of the office, you know how they present the office. Yeah, there's there's a lot to be touched on there. Um, thankfully, you know, my son is at a young age where I think by the time and I'm believing that Trump will be a one-term president, <laughs> uh, that by the time he gets out of office, it won't really seep into his consciousness that much. But yeah, just the comparison of Obama and Trump and. Again, there were a lot of things that I disagreed with President Obama about, um, but I can say as far as how he carried himself as no president question. was very dignified yeah. and compared to Trump uh, is very <laughs> the opposite, very undignified. And, you know, it also gets into, you know, the question about, you know, just comparing the fact that, you know, Trump being a, a black president and I mean, sorry, Obama being a black president, Trump being a white president, that now you get the comparison, oh, well, um, Obama had to work, you know, twice as hard to get where he is. And Trump basically just lands into the president, acts like a toddler, you know, throughout the whole campaign and doesn't change in any way. So now, now you get that comparison going on where, okay, that, you know, just the wives don't have to do anything they can behave as a toddler and they can be you know president where you have as a to be black and be a president you have to be your character has to be you know unimpeachable above reproach you have to be impeccable in everything that you do uh so it, it, graduate. yeah so it sets a sets a false uh sets a yeah, this, this, this weird crazy standard. dichotomy yeah, weird there, standard. yeah. And speaking of that weird standard, <laughs> ah, you like that, huh? <laughs> it's the <clears throat> the way that officers treat suspects, right? And then when officers themselves get treated that way, they, you know, are completely dumbfounded thank as to why you. they're being treated that way. Thank you, you for know. sparking it off like that. I this mean, weird thank you. Thank you for the double standard. <laughs> so it's crazy. This is double standards from the president all the way down to the street level. There are double standards, and we would be foolish to think that there's not. And so, with that in mind, Mar- you know, we're in Maryland right now, just outside of D.C. 
you know, I'm going to refuse to say DMV. I'm just going to say DC. <laughs> We're just outside of DC. And for those of you who remember that Freddie Gray case from two years ago, right? Freddie Gray's in the back of the paddy wagon. Five cops are back there. And somehow when they get to the station, he just ends up dead. So Maryland State's attorney for Baltimore, Miss Marilyn Mosby, she proceeds to indict three, I believe, of the five officers. Could be all five, but I only remember seeing three. But anyway, she proceeds to indict those officers. Now, the, they didn't end up getting convicted, but she did indict. Their names were put out there. Pictures were out there, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And now she's running, <clears throat> excuse me, for re-election. Yeah. She's running for re-election. And law enforcement, uh, law enforcement agencies in Maryland, State, Maryland State Police, Baltimore Police, and the Fraternal Order of the Police, which is a national, it's a national organization. They have set up a super PAC. They have set up a super PAC, um, which for those of you who don't know, super PACs um, can accept unlimited funds um, as opposed to the actual candidates that have caps on what they can accept yeah. in funding. A super PAC that can run ads, do advertisement, go door to door, et cetera, et cetera, can accept unlimited funds um, in an election cycle. So they've set up a super PAC in opposition to Miss Mosby. Now here's the, the two things that I find extremely interesting as well as problematic. One is when is the last time a state's attorney election has been this controversial? <laughs> yeah. It is the state's attorney. This is not the governor yeah. or the senators. This is the state's attorney. No one could even probably tell me the last four Maryland state's attorney election results. <clears throat> or maybe even the last four Maryland or Baltimore state's attorneys or, you know. Yeah, just who they were. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so here's the other. And then the other thing is they have set up this super PAC just off a of general principle because she doesn't even have an opponent. Mm -hmm. There's no one running against Miss Mosby. They have just set up this super PAC. They started running attack ads against Marilyn Mosby just for the sake of doing it. And they'll find someone to run against her if they haven't found that person already. But but they're contriving something to as you as you said to oppose this woman. And why? Because a boy, um, a young man ended up dead at the hands of cops who should have just arrested him if if he was even worthy of arrest and processed him, and he would be still living his life now. But and, and so she looks at that and she says something's wrong here and she charges them, which is what she should have done. And so now we live in an environment where police officers don't want to be charged with killing someone when they were the ones in a position of power to determine whether that person lived or died. Like we're just so twisted in this society right now where you have police officers who would rather say, I am in a very difficult position as a cop and I should not be charged every time someone dies. Well, of course, on the surface, that makes sense. But the reality is that when you as a cop confront a suspect like uh, Freddie Gray, you have a gun, <laughs> you have the power, the physical power. He has none of that. The only thing he might be able to do is run away. Not only that, you have been trained with respect to how to deal with suspects. He has not been trained with respect to how to deal with someone who is, who is has a gun in his face, who has you know, uh, who who has put him into a position of of uh, helplessness, and then he's being blamed for his reaction 
as an untrained citizen and you as a cop are not uh, being held to account. But you think that that's perfectly okay and to the point where you want to damage the reputation and the life of someone and, or the future prospects of someone who actually holds you to account. Something is wrong there. Yeah, that's a good point. The fact is, yeah, that, again, police are trained to handle um, these situations to be able to, to deal with potentially violent situations. They're supposed to be trained on de-escalation. Yep. Um, but oftentimes, and I'm not saying, again, I'm not going to label all police officers. Uh, I don't believe that it is all police officers. I believe a good majority of them do their job. But unfortunately, there are a lot of cases coming to the surface where they've done the opposite of de-escalation where you see this officer and a suspect who's unarmed and an officer's shaken, got their gun in the yeah. person's face. And so this person who has a gun in their face is supposed to act calm, collect, while the officer's uh, <laughs> nervous, you know, just nervous, shaking the gun. That that makes absolutely no sense. But uh, further on to the point, as far as this particular case um, involving the police and running against, uh, well, campaigning against uh, Marilyn Mosby's re-election campaign. The fact is, it seems that uh, police, more than any other group, they will stick together. They will defend each other no matter how wrong they are. Yep. And that's what you see here. They, you know, just just on principle of the fact that Marilyn Mosby um, right. prosecuted the officers, you know, they're up in arms because they, you know, they don't, they feel it's a slight or offense that she would even indict the officer. How dare you, right? You know, and now now we run into the situation where, okay, this is one situation. Yeah, Marilyn Mosby uh, in her uh, re-election campaign, and now the police are, you know, running this conglomerate against her. But I don't believe that we should just look at it as one situation. It'll This is going to influence other maybe other states' attorneys or others who want to mm. prosecute cops. Yeah. Now they've got this in their mindset. Well, if I prosecute a cop, now I'm going to have the whole uh, fraternal order of the police coming against me. Oh, yeah. When, no, it's just it's just this one or two cops or whatever. I'm, I'm not prosecuting the whole police department. I'm prosecuting this cop who, you know, potentially you know, unjustly killed the citizen, but now, you know, now they're not able or now they're fearful of taking these cases because of the repercussions that are going to come against them. Oh, yeah. Don't get it twisted. The Fraternal Order of Police, they are sending a statement. They, they are making a statement saying, you see what we're doing to Marilyn Mosby? Now, Marilyn Mosby is state's attorney for Baltimore, um, which is a majority black city, which means she'll probably get reelected regardless. But don't try this in Wisconsin or don't try this in South Carolina because we'll bury you. Right. So they're they're making us they're they're making a statement. You know, Maryland State Police, that's one thing. That's a state level police law enforcement organization. But the Fraternal Order Police is national. So, no, they I believe that they are making a statement like what like what you were saying, Dan, any other D.A., any other state uh, attorney from any other state. You see what we're doing here in Maryland? 
Don't get any ideas. Don't get any crazy ideas about trying to prosecute or indict police officers because we'll bury you. You know, and we keep on saying, you know, uh, oh, most uh, cops are not bad. You know, we're just talking about the bad apples. But when you look at their organization, Mm -hmm. uh, how accurate is that? Especially when the good cops who are supposed to be the majority actually won't stand up because there's a blue wall of silence. They won't, as a whole, stand up and try to root their profession of these sort of uh, uh, ne'er-do-wells that uh, that have been killing people, actually murderers who've been killing people. They won't stand up and say, no, 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 we want to purify our profession. Most of us are good. Um, but going back to what you were saying, when you look at the, the organizations that have developed around them, I think it that there's something going on, you know, I don't even want to say under the surface. Something is happening that's really going to blow up in this country. Well, because you what have I the believe, five... what, it's, it's the institution. Remember we talked about this last exactly. week. Exactly. It's the judicial institution. Mm-hmm. And so there may be some good cops in there, which I do believe that there are good police officers in there. But if you're in a corrupt institution, there's only so much you're going to mm-hmm. do. You could be the greatest person, have the greatest intentions, but if you work in an institution that is faulty, there's only so much you're going to do. I could build the most, you know, the beautiful, the, the most beautiful house, but if the foundation of this house is cracked and split, I could have the best paint, the most fuel efficient, you know, systems, energy efficiency, but the house will have to be torn down because mm-hmm. the the foundation is completely cracked and faulty. So uh, the the reason that there's a blue wall of silence is because the institution will work and claw and scratch to preserve continue, itself. Yeah, to preserve itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the problem. It's just, but just the fact that they were able to go to these five officers who were charged and have them remember back in April, have them sue Marilyn Mosby yeah. um, for malicious, uh, malicious, malicious prosecution. It, really? So, so a boy or a young man is dead. You know, in in, in, in the, the people who were responsible for having him slapped around in the back of a van until his spine broke are going to have something to open their mouth and say. It's just you know, it's just the gall of it, actually. Like mm-hmm. we, we're, we're what we have right now are police um, uh, organizations on our hands in different parts of the country who actually are, are have this sense of entitlement. And I think that's dangerous. Yeah. And I. You know, I, I agree with what uh, AJ, what you said. It is, it is the institution, and really, these, you know, the changes that need to be made are, are very drastic. It really, yeah. the whole thing needs to be like you gave the reference to the house. The whole thing needs to be tore down and rebuilt from the ground up. Unfortunately, I don't see that as something <laughs> right. that's likely to happen in yeah. anytime soon in our lifetime. Um, I don't know about you. I'm a young man. It might happen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I just want to clarify a bit. I, people are entitled to life. So, I, you know, I don't want anything bad to happen to anybody based on the profession they chose. But maybe it needs to go all the way back to police academies and police academies being able to detect based on the training that they provide, whether someone belongs in a uniform or maybe they belong in law enforcement, but in a different capacity. If you are afraid or uh, while you are armed and someone else isn't 
or if you are so angry, and this can happen to a lot of people, right. uh, so angry with with the gall of a criminal to curse at you that you would throw him in the or or to do something like that that you would throw him in the back of the van and not secure him, knowing that he's gonna bop all around the back of that van and end up dead or near dead by the time he gets to the station. If you are someone with that kind of uh, personality, that person should be rooted out at the police academy level. You know, so I think we just need to change the training and be able to detect who should be on that street and who shouldn't. Well, that's what I mean by that foundational thing, because yeah. change the training mm-hmm. means you have to change the trainors. Right. So the, the people even conducting the training would have to be retrained themselves. And so hmm. anyway, just I think speaking of, you know, as we pivot again, you know, speaking of things that, you know, are in dire need of some structural change and some reformation. <clears throat> My man Francis Chan was at Facebook this week and um, gave a, I don't know, lecture, discussion, I don't know what he, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, symposium, another symposium. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we talked last week about the church, the institution of the church. And so Francis Chan um, gives a, a, you know, shares some, some things at, for Facebook employees um, this week. Or at least it was written about this week. I'm not sure when he actually spoke, but it was written about. The article was written this week. Um, and he says that he was sharing why he left his church. Um, he was pastoring a church out in the West Coast. Yeah, Cornerstone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and there were a couple of things that he actually said that I thought were very interesting. He um, talked about how each person has their own gifts, right, you know, given by God. Um, but yet week after week, all those people just came to see him utilize his gift i thought that was very interesting he also spoke from a very practical sense he said he wondered one day how much does it cost to run this church and you know that's money you could be sowing into other people's lives people you know that are struggling but you're actually running a business you know um and then he he um talked about how he was weary of becoming too comfortable I thought that was very interesting, you know, because you can get into a routine. Just any, anything we do that becomes a routine, it goes from being like this fresh thing to just something I do, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's getting up, going to work, or going to school, yeah. whatever. You know, I know one of the things you'll, you'll hear in, um, one, and even I, I, I do it as well when I counsel couples is in marriage counseling. You'll tell them, don't make sure that your marriage doesn't just become a routine. Continue to invest in the person. Don't just take them for granted. And I think that's just human nature. In anything that becomes a routine, we can become comfortable. Um, so those, those are just some of the things that he had talked about. And then I, I, I put in quotations here. He said he was weary of becoming, I'm using air quotes, a Christian celebrity. He yeah. said, you know, when he would go places, he would see his face in the billboard yeah, and yeah. on magazines. And he said he, he didn't like what he was becoming. He felt like everything that God hated, he was becoming. Yeah. Um, so what what say you? Because like the you know judicial uh, police institution, I am one who's a firm believer that the religious institution needs to be torn down and rebuilt from the ground up. That's just me personally. Um, I know a lot of people who believe that as well, but I think the way that Francis describes some of these things are some of these also core elements that are at its core. You can't change unless you rebuild the the structure. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot in what he said, and 
we could release <laughs> spend a few episodes really mm, touching yeah. basis on it uh so a- again more to his point about you know the the first point about the the gifts and he was talking about everyone having gifts and just coming out to see him that we we can see that in the church just under utilization of, of people and the gifts and okay and how how should the church look he you know his church i guess when it was at its height had 5000 members and he was talking about just the amount of resources amount of money to keep that going which could be invested elsewhere is are all these things that we're doing in church are they all really necessary right. uh should we have these huge churches which require all these resources to run or how about a bunch of smaller churches? And I know uh, what Francis Chan is doing right now. He's doing the, the house church movement where there may be like 20 or 30 people, you know, in someone's house uh, <laughs> having church. And which is the more biblical model? And I mean, this is, can be a subject for debate. I mean, what, what did church look like in in the New Testament? Yeah. We, we read, we see that when they had a Jewish synagogue, it just required 10 Jewish men to be in a city to run a synagogue. So they they didn't have, you know, these huge congregations that we have today. Uh, so what, which is more efficient, which is more impactful for the community? Um, I mean, so this is, this is something, you know, this is something that is up for debate and, you know, we're not going to settle this during this discussion which is better but for those of us who maybe go to a larger church um really you know let's let's examine these things is is that really the best way to do church yeah i I really like the way that i mean I, i like the way he came to this conclusion when i say like i just mean that um i can understand in 1994 he and his wife start cornerstone and it grows and grows over time and 16 years later after he's written crazy love and written other books and become a, a basically a celebrity pastor even he even went to legacy a few weeks ago, a few years ago when i was there at this annual uh, discipleship conference in chicago that i go to almost every year he even he even went to that and he's all over the world so you going from 1994 to starting a, a small church in your home, and then all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, over the course of 16 years, you see what happens mm-hmm. when more people come and the structures start getting developed around them. And then you start to see maybe there's a little chasm between what I'm doing and what Jesus walked around and did, you know. And so I, I can see him reaching that conclusion Um but, you know, one thing that's interesting, I understand what he says about uh, the fact that, yeah, the church should be an organism, like a family, and everybody's, just like in the New Testament, everybody's gifts is being, are being utilized. Um, but a lot of people will say that there is a preeminence of the preaching gift. You know, in fact, some people I know personally, because I've, I went through a, my mindset kind of shifted to the, the house church movement, you know, not We Are Church, which is the name of Francis Chan's house church movement, but, you know, just in general, general. a few years ago. And it, I didn't, I went to a few of them, but, you know, I've, it's not something that I um, 
continue to pursue. But what I'm saying is that during that time, I had these types of conversations with people and people said, actually, there is a preeminence of the preaching gift. So there's nothing wrong with 5,000 people coming to hear one person's gift. Not only that, Sunday is not the only day of the week. Your gift can be exercised during, Mm -hmm. you know, other times of the week. So I can understand, you know, any criticism of Francis Chan for that comment. But on the other hand, the money, and he's looking around and he's saying, wait a second, millions of dollars is what this costs to run. Mm-hmm. And not only that, do does the person sitting in pew three know the person living in pew, uh, sitting in pew four? Right. Mm-hmm. Do people know each other? You know, is this multi-generational? Do you have the wisdom of the elders being used for the people who are in their 20s? So uh, so I think that there, there's, as you mentioned, a lot of things to talk about concerning this decision. Oh, yeah. No, I think it's a definite, this may be something to come up on a future show, because a lot of what you just said, I think, is very applicable. But again, it's not necessarily what it is. It's the way that it's applied. And a lot of what is said in scripture, it is just impossible to apply it mm-hmm. in the current model of the way that the majority of Western church is done. Because you're right. How does the wisdom of the elders get displayed to people who are younger? It doesn't get displayed on a Sunday morning in a pulpit. That does not, it's not the way it works. It works in as you walk with me in my life and you mm-hmm. see my life, you see how I entreat my wife, you see how I entreat my children. But we and I, you and I have to walk together. You have to see that when the Bible tells older women to show the younger women. How do they show younger women? Mm-hmm. They have to be in each other's life. So I think what he was saying, a lot of it, what he was saying was good. My, my only gripe about what he said was where he did it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure <laughs> that that was a discussion that needed to be had in front of Facebook employees. That that was my only like, that was family business, Francis. I, I, I would have loved that to have been with a group of believers in some kind of meeting, preferably private, not public, um, so it might have been a Facebook Bible study group, but there's no, there's no evidence way, no to no say that, that that, yeah. yeah. So. And on top of that, it's Facebook. So I mean, <laughs> even if it was a Facebook Bible study, it probably ended up on Facebook, <laughs> um, which is probably how it even got out, right? So I just think because of the nature of what Facebook does, it, it, it there was no way it was going to not become public, you know what I'm saying? Because Facebook, their whole goal is to have everything out front and center so that was my only gripe just like ah, i wish you had done that on a private uh more private level that's all yeah i just want to touch very very briefly um on the point about him you know just kind of being i don't know if i'm using the right word been in- intimidated by where he was at as far as the celebrity status that i think that that's something that really yeah, a lot of Christians need to identify with when they're in the public eye, when you quote unquote make it big, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a Christian rap artist, whatever, um, is that along, you know, with that, it, along with being known, it feeds into pride yeah. and it, it can kill your spiritual growth in, in the Lord because you, now you're getting all, all this attention from people you feel good and now what ends up being is you're more you start seeking that attention from people rather than seeking God. It can be a, it can be a serious struggle, and I'm glad that you know I'm glad that he you know Francis Chan is humble enough to admit <laughs> that it was a struggle in his life, and that you know he didn't want to be that a uh, next casualty that you hear about. He didn't want to be that <laughs> Christian casualty, fallen, yeah, fallen out so i'm i'm glad that he recognized that and he he knew that 
you know, he, he couldn't be in that position anymore and he, he left it, uh, that we need to do, you know, what's best for us and our spiritual growth and our, our family. And if that means leaving a 5,000 member church, oh, well, people are going to be disappointed. But at the end of the day, it's your relationship with God that matters more than, than that. Yeah, it's actually amazing that he had the presence of mind to be able to see that because most people, again, can't step outside of themselves and see themselves. And oh, the yeah, because heart- a lot of preachers went on him when he did it, when he left. Yeah, yeah. well, it might, they might have gone on, on him because there was a mirror placed in front of them, you know? <laughs> and it might they might not have had the type of celebrity status he did, and he does, but can you imagine and you know, standing in front of people every week or twice a week and they're hanging on your every word you have to be deliberate i know preachers and and ministers even you know hip-hop artists uh who are christian you have to be deliberate about not you know uh buying into your own um celebrity you know because you're every time you go someplace people are you know you're being honored and thanked for for your influence and every time you get up to a stage people are agreeing with everything you say and forget about the churches where it, there's the amen corner mm-hmm. you know people aren't even listening because all they're saying is well some people are not even listening because all they're saying is amen yes sir you know pray with make it plain praise the lord you know and you know i know that's cultural but you know the question you know becomes how does that impact the man who's standing in front of people? So Definitely. I give I give Francis Chan credit for doing that. Of course, he can afford to do it. You know, um, he has been made wealthy by his celebrity and by the books that he sold and and that sort of thing. And I know that now he gives all the money away, um, but he he's in a position to be able to do it. But still, it takes a lot to to back up and say I'm going to put two elders over each of these house churches. I'm not even going to speak. And and one thing that he said in one of the articles is this is harder, yeah. you know, doing life on life and people have issues and, you know, this is harder, but this is ministry. Definitely. But speaking of things that we do want front and center, like my pivot there, we want to step out and give a quick word to our sponsor. Addressing your health is not something you can ignore. A report from your doctor or even aches that you've learned to live with need to be taken care of. It can feel like a long road when you go at it alone and aren't sure what to do. Working with a knowledgeable individual will help you save time, resources, and actually get the results you're looking for. Let us introduce you to Princess Akima, a certified holistic nutrition practitioner. She's a living example that making powerful changes in your life will have ripple effects. She works one-on-one with clients to prevent and reverse disease from skin issues, diabetes, high blood pressure, and allergies. This can be treated by using nutritional guidance, herbal and homeopathic means, body work, and movement. This whole person holistic approach is helping people get restored. Get in touch with Akima today at www.princessakima.com. That's P-R-I-N-C-E-S-S-A-K-E-E-M-A. Or you can reach her at 240-855-0266. And you can connect with her on Facebook and Twitter at Princess Akima. Please support our sponsors as they support this podcast and let them know you heard about it on Across the Intersection. And we're back. We're back. We're back. All right. So we're going to wrap up this week. Um, it's really been good convo. Like I said, some things we probably need to spend some more time chopping up. Um, like, I, I think we could definitely go deeper into that Francis Chan stuff. Yeah. Um, it really lends itself to a lot of different other topics. Um, but just staying in that same sphere. Um, this week in the news. <laughs> right. So 
What is this? For those of you, this might be your first time listening again. This is when we, as believers, again, I'm never going to exclude myself because I believe in God. But sometimes we just have that bad habit of publicly putting foot in mouth. Mm, tasty. Foot in mouth disease. Right. We got foot to mouth disease. And so our friends over at Hobby Lobby, this is not exactly verbal, but it is based on past verbal things that they've said publicly. Wait a second. Wait a second. What is Hobby Lobby? Some people, for some reason, have been on planet Pluto for the past several several years and don't know what Hobby Lobby is. (laughs) So it's not necessarily Hobby Lobby. They're a little knickknack store. Like think Big Lots. Think that, that, you know, if you're a little older, remember Ames? Remember that store Ames? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Or I know up well, up in New York they had National Wholesale Liquidators stores, just stores like that to just sell <laughs> little odds and ends, you know, a whole bunch of crap imported from China probably. Um, but their owners are very outspoken Christians, okay. um, and they were coming out against. I remember um, when Obama was forcing companies to support abortion. Was it abortion? And of, not to support abortion, but, but I think this has to do for, Yeah, exactly. Yes, I'm sorry, to for provide health care, birth, birth, birth control, control and abortion, yeah. things like that. They were very outspoken in opposition to that. Yeah. No, no, we're Christians. We should be allowed to, I guess, deny our employees <laughs> <laughs> coverage, whatever. But again, you're, you're, you're a business. so But you're a business, so you can do whatever you want to. But again, when you make those public statements, be willing to stand out there when it takes assault from all sides. <laughs> again, that's the problem with these statements. If, if you make them privately, it's probably all good. You make it publicly, now you've put yourself in a different sphere because you've chosen to speak out publicly against something that your Christian beliefs would not allow you to do, <laughs> which is all for coverage to people who work for you who might not be Christian and who want birth control. But anyway, it's another discussion for another day. So Hobby Lobby <laughs> is being sued by the federal government mm-hmm. for illegally importing Iraqi artifacts. Yeah. They're being sued. Can you imagine the government thinking somebody else is shady? That's <laughs> that's crazy enough. So, but there's a little nugget in the article that I read. I forget where I read the article. Shoot, but there's a little nugget in the article where the government believes that Hobby Lobby, their Christian owners, are trying to smuggle in the Iraqi artifacts to funnel them to the new Bible museum that's opening up. I'll send y'all the article. It was crazy. Because they didn't really go into that. They just kind of glanced across it and kept going. I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. So, you know, for those of you who don't know, there's a, a Bible museum getting ready to open up in D.C. Um, and they believe that Hobby Lobby's owners were illegally, the, the, the reason they were illegally smuggling these Iraqi artifacts in was to funnel them to that museum. Now, there's so many red flags on that. It's, it's just it's, so many. It's unbelievable. I mean, when, when yeah. I think about what Iraq is, Iraq is Mesopotamia. You know, you guys remember this in 10th grade world history or 4th grade or whatever grade you took world history. Mesopotamia is an ancient, very, very rich in artifacts and very rich in terms of a language and, and civilization um, area of the world. You know, it's one of our, you know, one of our world's great civilizations way before Iraq was even heard about and so yeah there are a lot of artifacts over there and archaeologists do find things um but unfortunately when you're a company like hobby lobby now hobby lobby is claiming and they might be right that the artifacts were sent under false pretenses you know so the people who sold it to them um falsely labeled these artifacts and so that's their defense whether it's right or wrong um but you definitely don't want (laughs) to be a christian organization 
even coming into contact with looking evil by taking, first of all, people's legacy (laughs) from their land uh, in order to support what you're trying to do here. I don't know. Yeah, so... Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, so just to, you know, push it back at... Again, we don't... We can't say that Hobby Lobby itself, you know, condoned the illegal smuggling of these artifacts, but they worked with a, with a group, with a company in the United Arab Emirates who did smuggle yeah. the company. At, at a bare minimum, we can say that Hobby Lobby made a very, very poor business decision. <laughs> and I think even, even that's something to speak on as Christians, that we need to do our dil- due diligence in who we partner with, who we work with, um, we need to investigate these things. We just can't work with anyone and realizing that there are going to be consequences. You think these things are going to come back to haunt us. Uh, so that's, that's at a minimum. Now, if, uh, of course, if Hobby Lobby was a little bit more in the know about what was <laughs> going on, then that's, that's a whole other can of worms. But I, I can say at a bare minimum, they were not good stewards over their business. Definitely. Especially when you've been so outspoken about your Christianity and (laughs) how moral you are and this, that, and the third. Again, you can't be that outspoken about all of your beliefs and then claim naivete as it (laughs) pertains to illegal smuggling. That's the whole point of this little segment. You know, so again, for those out there listening, Everything does not need to be said publicly. Why? Because if you say it publicly, it will come back to bite you in the rear end (laughs) if you don't have all your T's crossed and your I's dotted. You can believe whatever you want to believe, but certain things don't need to be said and certain things definitely don't need to be said publicly because as our friends over at Hobby Lobby have found, when you smuggle smuggle in uh, illegal uh, (laughs) artifacts, people will remember how outspoken you were a couple years ago about (laughs) your morality. People people will not forget. So anyway, like Dan was just saying, I think, you know, even in our business practices, we got to be mature in how we conduct our business, just like how we are mature in conducting our podcast. So uh, we want to thank y'all for rocking with us this week one more again. Yep, thank you guys. Um, we Again, like we always say, we're going to hit these subjects, hit them hard, and you know, sometimes it's a, things that hit close to home that we don't want to listen to, but we're going to do our best to bring them from a mature perspective so that you guys vibe with us. So, anyway, for Dan and Eve, I want to thank you guys for rocking with us one more time. Catch y'all next time. time. Peace. Let's get started. I won't cheat you. Let me set apart who is my people. The ones who set in their heart to be believers. Press on to the mark to follow Jesus. When it gets hard, they be seeking the leaders. Fathers that help them heal when they are beaten. Or help them see the meaning when they're grieving. Don't follow their feelings that'll be misleading. They're the ones that keeping it biblical Keep it 100 when others saying it's fictional A relational life, that is how it's scriptural A stay in the light while cats be living typical Integrity we chose cause folks is hypocritical Religious midwit, man that is how they picture you Wishing you would go the way of the extinction